Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, August 5th, 2017. Looking at the program notes here. A lot of people you're going to recognize, one you're not. (laughs) In fact, I almost feel like I have to change my uh, standard opening here in a second. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop. Open up your Bible. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of really crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular and somewhat unpopular, we throw a few of those in, in there, but the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God, yeah, Weird how that works. And over again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine being put out by all of these people isn't even biblical. It's like not what God's word says at all. And you know, there you've got entire auditoriums, mega churches filled with people just slopping this stuff up, clapping their hands and going, Oh, I've never heard this before. It's the best thing ever. And you want to shout out that well, the reason why you never heard that is because it's not in the Bible. <laughs> no one has ever believed that before, taught that before, because the fellow or gal, I mean, that's how this works nowadays, right, um, who's teaching you that literally just made it up five minutes before they went on stage. And, you know, it's all designed to give you the uh, the, the warm, snuggly feeling about yourself rather than tell you about Jesus Christ and him crucified for your sins. Yeah, that would drive people away in mass nowadays. Okay, so uh, first hour of today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, you will definitely recognize uh, the people that we will be covering today. Uh, they they are they've been regular features on the program, you know, almost since its inception. Um, you know, with just a couple of exceptions. And then hour number two, uh, somebody you've probably haven't heard of. Uh, it's been such a long time that I've reviewed a sermon by this fellow that uh, I. Uh, off the top of my head, can't even remember like the general neighborhood of the time frame 
as to uh, when I reviewed one of his sermons. But uh, we'll uh, we'll give you details here in a second. So uh, first up on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, we're going to start off with uh, Terry Savelle Foy. Terry Savelle Foy, uh, yeah, she's this gal that uh, that we uh, play the Barbie Girl song, and um, she is the daughter of a of a very famous, uh, very very famous uh, televangelist who's uh, good friends with uh, Kenneth Copeland. And uh, so we're going to start off with um, her video titled. Do your words affect your body? Mm-hmm. Those of you uh, struggling with girth, yeah, I'm one of those. I've joined the struggle with girth crowd uh, years and years ago, and uh, always on, you know, uh, trying to figure out how to become half the man I used to be. But anyway, uh, she she's going to be uh, dealing with you know, apparently, you know, how our words can impact. Our, our girthiness or healthfulness or things like that related to our body. And you're sitting there going, where does the Bible teach that? It's like, it doesn't. So, yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, then again, she's famous, you know, and uh, people turn to her to make them feel good about themselves, which is what she does, makes people feel really good about themselves. Uh, then uh, we're going to check in with Joel Osteen. And uh, Joel Osteen's still... On it about the uh, Hurricane Harvey. I mean, you know, Houston was uh, quite hit hard by Hurricane Harvey. And, uh, you know, what goes along with hurricanes? Well, storm surges go along with hurricanes. So he's going to exegete uh, the phenomenon known as a storm surge and uh, give us the valuable insight that God is trying to teach us regarding uh, the surge that is coming in our life. And I, I... you know, I just, that's the name of the message. A surge is coming. And it's like, well, you say that, and it's like, where do I get the sandbags? You know, I, I, you know, we got a basement, you know, at our house, and I don't want it flooding. So the surge is coming. But, you know, then again, I, I do live in North Dakota, so I'm pretty sure we don't get hurricanes up here. I'm just saying. Anyway, you <laughs> know. And uh, so then, uh, somewhere there, we're going to have to take a break. We're we're going to do a Jonathan Kahn update. And uh, recently have discovered Jonathan Kahn's YouTube channel. He has a full YouTube channel, and he's he does these uh, short 10-minute teachings. And uh, so uh, have you ever wondered uh, about that important biblical doctrine about the power of Omer? Yeah, you're going, who's Omer? Well, an omer isn't a who, an omer is a what. It's a, it's a measurement of, you know, of volume in the uh, <clears throat> Old Testament. But uh, Jonathan Kahn is going to explain to us the power of omer. And uh, <laughs> you, you stop looking at me like that. You don't sound like you're convinced that that's what he's going to do. He will be doing that. But I guarantee you it will be a doctrine that that nobody's taught in the past, but he's just making it, making it up. And uh, then we're going to check in with uh, Stephen Furtick and uh, his message titled Cutting Corners. Yep, that's right, Cutting Corners. And uh, of course, he'll be engaging in his favorite Bible-twisting technique uh, that we have lovingly uh, dubbed here at Fighting for the Faith, Narcissistic Jesus, otherwise known as Jesus, And uh, and then in hour number two, we're heading to Aviator Church. I, y'all remember this guy? And uh, we're going to be listening to Joe Boyd. Joe Boyd, he's uh, one of these fellows who decided that he was going to be a vision-casting church planter. 
And uh, and years and years ago, we've reviewed reviewed him several times here at Fighting for the Faith, but not very regularly. It's been a while since we've done. And uh, the name of the message is Every Story Matters to God. Every Story Matters to God. And I'm not going to quibble with, I mean, at least the sentiment of the sermon that we'll be reviewing. I mean, sh- surely your story matters to God. How do I know? Well, because God has demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ has died for our sins. So Jesus knows all of the gory details of your sin story, and it matters to him. But the, more importantly, you matter to him. But I don't know if that's where Joe's going to go with this sermon. So uh, that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We've got a lot of ground that we need to cover. Therefore, we will be uh, starting off with this. Hiya, Bobby. Hi, Ken. You want to go for a ride? Sure, Ken. Jump in. I'm a Bobby girl in the Bobby world. Life in plastic, it's fantastic. You can brush my hair, undress me everywhere. Imagination, life is your creation. Come on, Barbie, let's go party. Uh, the Barbie Girl song. That can mean only one thing. We're going to be checking in with Terry Savelle Foy and uh, her recent uh, vlog, yeah, video blog, uh, titled, uh, Do Your Words Affect Your Body? Are, are you somebody who, who like me, uh, struggles with girthiness and things like that? Well, do you, have you considered that maybe you can overcome your girthy uh, challenges <laughs> using words? Yeah, I've never thought of that, but... Uh, Let's uh, let's check in with uh, Terry Savelle Foy as she explains this to us. I'm Terry Savelle Foy. Thank you for watching today. I want to ask the question: Do your words affect your body? In other words, does what you're saying have anything to do with your body size? Mm. Well, you might say, "Yeah, Terry. You know, my mouth has something to do with my body size. If I stop eating so much." <laughs> but do you know most people put more emphasis, way more attention on what's going in their mouth? with no regard whatsoever as to what's coming out of their mouth when it pertains to weight loss and fitness. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, th- there have been a few times in my life I've been able to shed a few pounds and uh, do it, you know, uh, significantly. Uh, the, the keeping it off thing is uh, a wee bit of a challenge. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that being said, um, you know, having a little bit of, experience along these lines that being said i um i've never read like a medical journal or a a, a reputable article about weight loss or a reputable resource regarding weight loss that said that the the three key components to uh, shedding unwanted body fat and keeping it off uh, that the three components are diet exercise, and how you talk about yourself. Mm -hmm. I've always heard the correlation between diet and exercise, and I've always noted that the word diet has the word die, you know, (laughs) with a T attached to it. Um, So, yeah, I I haven't considered that third part yet. Do you have 
a uh, like a reputable medical journal article to back up this claim because uh, immediately I'm thinking there's nothing in the Bible about this. So uh, where are you getting this? You know, it's amazing. I even heard a, a doctor say that most people, that when they say things like, you know, I could never lose weight, he said that has more damage than eating an entire bag of chips. Uh-huh. Do you, you know, I, I think I the Mythbusters are no longer an, a, a thoroughgoing thing. Although, you know, come to think of it, uh, the Science Channel, they had this thing over the summer. It makes it look like they're going to have a reboot of the Mythbusters with different hosts. You know, maybe we should kick this off to them once they start up their uh, <laughs> the the uh, the new MythBusters, which I'm not sure when they're going to do it. Maybe sometime late in the fall, I guess. But um, we should send this over to the MythBusters and ask the question. You know, can you scientifically, you know, you know, either debunk this myth or prove this myth that uh, saying bad words about yourself is worse than eating an entire bag of potato chips and boy those potato chips look really good yeah let's keep going he even knew that your words are powerful Mm -hmm. and you know you might even say oh terry i've heard about positive declarations and affirmations those don't work for you know weight loss which is a declaration in itself oh see if you hadn't have declared that words don't declare then your words would have declared but see, you turned it off. It's like it's a light switch. You know, you, you you hit the off button with your words, and and now your words can't do things. What? <laughs> this sounds like witchcraft. Consequently, you'll get the results from it. Well, you know, you may have heard me share this on a previous podcast. I told the story about a guy named Shad who he actually wrote a book about positive self-talk. And he was talking about how for years and years he struggled. Shad, uh-huh. Positive self-talk. Um, is this fellow one of Jesus' disciples? Was he an Old Testament prophet? Why are you teaching this as if this is something we Christians need to be tapping into as a as a truth thingy, you know? With obesity, with being overweight. And he said, I tried every diet out there with no success. In fact, he said, you know, sometimes I'd lose weight, gain it back, lose weight, gain it back, and many times gain more weight back. He said he got so fed up with this. He thought there's no diet out there that'll work for me. Nothing works. Well, all of a sudden he began learning about, you know, positive declarations, success talk, self-talk, things like that. Yeah, word of faith heresy stuff. Right. Yeah, I know all about it. And he began to discover how professional athletes and Olympians would actually hire self-talk trainers to just keep them motivated on winning them. Self-talk trainers? Maybe that's what I need here. Fighting for the I need a self-talk trainer. Could I train Siri to do this on my iPhone? That would probably be the cheapest way to do it. You know, <laughs> type in something and you know have Siri read it to me and tell Siri. Siri, tell me how great I am again. Oh, you know, Chris, you're the bee's knees. You're the best. You're you're looking thinner today. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Siri. I appreciate that. And he just started thinking. If they can hire these professional full-time self-talk trainers to keep them encouraged Uh to win their gold medal, he said, what about the the medal of weight loss? I mean, could they give medals in weight loss at the Olympics? (laughs) I didn't know they did that. I I should probably 
see if I could somehow figure out how to get into the competition. That might motivate me to shed a few pounds, you know. I do the same thing. And the gold medal for weight loss goes to the United States of America. <laughs> to competitor Chris Rosebro. Way to go, Chris. Here's your gold medal. Yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'd like to thank all the little people. That uh, motivated me to become a little person myself. Yeah, okay. So he said, with that thought, an idea emerged. And so all he did was he just made a list of positive declarations to speak over his body. Well, then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, okay. So you want me to speak positive declaration over over different parts of my body. You know, there's enough of it there. That might take a week or two. He recorded those declarations, and he just said, I put it in my bathroom and basically push play. And he just started listening to these positive declarations, yeah. affirmations yeah. about weight loss and fitness. Yeah. Well, this is what he said. He okay, so this isn't scientifically confirmed. This is just a guy telling his experience without any validation scientifically. Got it. Okay. Yeah, and you'll know we're not in a biblical text. I decided to listen to them playing the self-talk in the background while I was shaving every morning. Yeah. Every morning I would shave, play the self-talk, shave, play the self-talk. Yeah. He said morning after morning he repeated the process. Yeah. During the next 10 and a half weeks, yeah. I lost 38 pounds shaving and playing the self-talk. 38 pounds? Man, I mean, those of you who have uh, pieces of exercise of equipment sitting in your basement or different parts of your home that you purchased because one night you were channel surfing and you came across that infomercial and they said, you're with the gut buster, you're going to lose, you know, the, those unwanted pounds. And, it, you know, and, and, and all you have to do is exercise 39 minutes a day, you know, and you know, and you you sitting there going, okay, how do I get this thing? If for five easy payments of ninety nine ninety nine, you can get your gut buster too. So you get your gut buster, and you know it comes and you use it twice, right? You two times, two whole times, and then it, it starts collecting dust, and the wife is complaining. And uh, each month, the uh, you know <laughs> the money comes off the debit card. Anyway, I mean, who knew that the only thing you needed to do was uh, grab your your smartphone and. Use the uh, voice memo function to uh, say positive things about yourself and then play them while shaving. Uh-huh. And, uh, and those unwanted pounds would just come right off. Who knew? I, I did not know that that apparently fat is like uh, repulsed by positive self-talk. Here's the remarkable thing. And this time, he says, I wasn't even on a diet. Oh, that's a remarkable. Actually, the remarkable thing is that you're saying this and that people are actually listening to you and thinking that this is what God would have them believe. Wow, what a mess. All right, moving along, it's time for a um, Joel Osteen update, which requires us to do this. When I'm feeling lonely... Sad as I can be All by myself An uncharted island In an endless sea What makes me happy Fills me up with glee Those bones in my jaw That don't have a flaw My shiny teeth and me
just like the Christmas tree. You know they walk a mile just to see me smile. Shiny teeth and me. Yeah, that's right. Shiny teeth and me. That's Joel Osteen. So, you know, listen, yeah, when there's hurricanes, uh, and, you know, they come on shore, usually a, a storm surge, if it's a high enough category or hurricane, like Hurricane Harvey was, uh, there will be a storm surge. And usually that's a bad thing. Um, you, you know, people hear that storm surges are coming and they sandbag or they evacuate and, uh, you know, regardless you can expect there to be flooding and damage and things like that. But here's Joel Osteen still kind of stuck on uh, post-Hurricane Harvey as uh, his thinking is going there as uh, Houston is recovering. And uh, he's going to be explaining to us that a surge is coming. And I think he thinks that's a good thing. Yeah, but they're not. Uh, yeah, I'm confused. Here's Joel Osteen. God bless you. It's a joy to come into your homes. And if you're ever in our area, please stop by and be a part of one of our services. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home. I like to start with something funny. And I heard about this elderly couple that had been married for over 60 years. They were at a church function and somebody asked them the secret of their success. The man told how he always treated his wife with respect and how he took her on trips around the world. He said, in fact, for our 25th wedding anniversary, I took her to Beijing, China. Everybody politely applauded. Then somebody asked, what'd you do for your 50th wedding anniversary? He said, I went back and picked her up. <laughs> Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the word of God. No, you won't. Boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you today about a surge is coming. Watching, the- Quick, get the sandbag, a surge is coming. Joel Osteen said so. Yeah, you're, you're, your whole life is going to be ruined. I don't think that's what he's saying, though. He's, you know, let's continue. News reports about the recent hurricanes, even more than the high winds, the experts talked about the storm surge. Yeah, the the destructive nature of them. That's not a good thing. They're bad. They're terrible. We're very concerned about how the water was going to come rushing out of its banks and flood areas that were normally dry. And what's interesting is before the storm surge, the water is pulled back. It doesn't just start from where it was and then go forward. The winds... It's kind of like a tsunami. Yeah, yeah, okay. Pressure from the storm causes the water to recede from its banks. They showed a picture in Florida of hundreds of yards of dry ground where there was normally ocean. Looked very strange. You could see the lifeguard stands, the docks, but the water was missing. You could think the F- so let's let's build on the metaphor here because storm surges are destructive. Uh, um, so if you attend a church, you know, kind of like you know Lakewood, and uh, and you're noticing the sound doctrine and the biblical preaching is receding, yeah, and and disappearing and going away where it should be there, you know, but it's it disappears and goes away. Uh, that that's the sign that God's judgment is going to come flooding in and. Yeah, you better run away. How's that? (laughs) 
I don't think that's what he's doing here, though. Must have been wrong. The water didn't surge. Yeah. It didn't increase. It decreased. Yeah. But at some point, just like they predicted, the water came rushing back with incredible force going where it had never gone. Right. In, in a destructive pattern. It destroys things. In the same way, God has a storm surge, but it's a good thing. Yeah, oh, wow. So, um, where in Scripture does it talk about the good thing storm surge that God's going to be doing? <sighs> yeah, this is just unbelievable. I cannot believe that all of these thousands and thousands of people there at uh, where the Houston Rockets used to play basketball um, that, you know, who show up on any given weekend, I can't believe they haven't stood up and decided to walk out. I mean, what turned off their brain here? When you go through a storm, you feel like you're being pulled back. You know what God promised, that he would use it for your good. You know what's been predicted. Yeah. But in the storm, you're going the wrong way. You're being decreased. It's Okay. Like what he said. But what you can't see is a surge is coming. <laughs> Somebody just said amen. These are terrible things. Surge of favor, a surge of strength, a surge of healing. Where in scripture does it talk about surges of healing and strength and stuff? He's just making it up. <sighs> if you will stay in faith, God will always follow up the storm with a surge. Really? Uh-huh. The enemy doesn't have the last word. God does. And that difficulty is not going to leave you pulled back. It's not going to leave you less than. It's going to surge you ahead. Right. Those surges, they, they don't leave you less than, man. No. I mean, it, it just flip that, you know, carrot thingy around and, you know, it, you'll be more than. Yeah. That opposition is not going to keep you from your destiny. It's going to propel you into a new level of your destiny. New level. I mean, it could be way down, though. You know, he thinks it's all about increase. Okay. Now, don't complain about the storm. Yeah, no. Without the storm, you couldn't see the surge. Right. So just quit your complaining right now. You wouldn't see the new level, the promotion, the new house. The storm is setting you up to go where you have not gone. Yeah, you'll note that uh, the one thing that has not occurred in this sermon thus far is uh, Joel Osteen opening up a biblical text and actually, you know, at least trying to create the pretense th that uh, or the impression that this is a biblical idea. When you have a big storm, that means a big surge is coming. Ah, oh, wow. Stronger the winds, the stronger the opposition, the stronger the surge. Right, the yeah. So my opposition to him, as strong as it is, he, Joel Osteen is interpreting my opposition to his message as a storm surge. That means he'll have blessings on the other end of that. Wow. Or you get pulled back, the more you're going to be shot forward. The more people try to push you down, the higher you're going to go. The key is stay in faith when you're being pulled back.
keep a good attitude when you're doing the right thing, but the wrong thing is happening. Every voice will tell you it's never going to improve. You're stuck. Just accept it. You'll never get well. You'll never meet the right person. The circumstances may look permanent. Don't be fooled. A surge is coming. Literally filling these people's heads with, you know, the expectation. Well, I'm in the middle of a miserable situation here. Yeah. Not only did I not find the right woman that I wanted to marry, I, the doctor just told me that uh, I have cancer and I'll be dead in two weeks. So I, there's my storm. You know, there's the, the, the water is decreasing. I should expect to be slingshotted right into perfect health and uh, <laughs> and finally, once and for all, meet my soulmate. Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. And God has not promised any of this. This is a false gospel. He is literally making promises for God that God never, I mean, not even in one place, ever <clears throat> made for anybody. Wow, wow. And uh, and yet they consider him to be a Christian pastor, and uh, he, he's supposed to be representing Christianity. I don't know what that was, but that wasn't Christianity. That wasn't biblical doctrine. That wasn't anything that Christians have taught, believed, or confessed for the first two millennia of Christianity, I yeah, wow, what a mess. All right, so what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pyre Christian. Quick break when we come back. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Jonathan Kahn and Stephen Furtick. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. Your words have no power to create reality. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> In other news, it seems that the inhabitants of Earth are not the only ones subject to economic slumps. Jensen Franklin, through direct revelation from God, has given us information that says that the unemployment rate within God's own army has drastically risen. Take a listen. ...came and opened the doors and broke the chains. My point to you is simply this. When you don't pray, angels become unemployed. The greatest tragedy of prayerlessness is the unemployment of angels. Because when you pray, God gives angels their, their orders. When you pray, the spiritual battle in the heavenlies begins to be armed with the prayers of the saints and people binding. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. <laughs> Thank you.
attention, angels. This is uh, the Holy Spirit. I have an announcement regarding the uh, latest downturn in the economy. And I understand that a lot of you have been unemployed lately due to a lack of prayer. And I wish there was something that I could do about this. But, you know, I feel so powerless when it comes to these kind of things. Um, we, uh, we've uh, created a welfare uh, basket, a spiritual relief type of thing. And uh, so those of you who have been hit hard by the latest downturn and are now finding yourselves unemployed, uh, please uh, proceed over to the uh, <clears throat> relief office and uh, we'll see what we can do to help you out. Thank you. All right, all right, everyone just calm down. Thank you. Now, I know that none of you care to be here, but since we're experiencing a worldwide shortage of prayer, it would behoove you to keep calm and allow us to do our jobs. Gabriel, put your wings down. There's not nearly enough room for that. And Michael, Michael, don't cut in line. I know you're the big cheese around here, but all of us have been affected equally. Wait your turn. Next! What's your name? George. George. Yeah, whatever. Where'd you fly in from? South Orange County, California. California? That's frontline enemy territory. How many tours have you done down in that kill box? About nine. Oh, you're quite the veteran. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's Rick Warren's territory, right? Yeah, he's got most of the people down there praying for purpose, better sex, other useless junk like that. Those idiots don't even realize they don't need God for such things. I hear you on that one. Now, I know it's not much, but this is what I can give you. It's our premium spiritual relief basket. Thank you. I'll be sure to put this to good use. <laughs> I know you will. Next! What's your name, bub? Harold. Okay, Harold. Where are you hailing from? Charlotte, North Carolina. Good gravy. You must really be hurting. Everyone knows that Stephen Furtick's neck of the woods are just filled to bursting with heretical slop. Uh, what are they praying for nowadays? It's the strangest thing. They keep praying to the sun, telling it to stand still. I don't get it. Those morons! Don't they know nothing about astrophysics? If they were to stop the sun, they'd burn half the world to a crisp. Moon rocks have higher IQs than those dingbats. All right, got a relief basket for you. I greatly appreciate the help. <laughs> I know, you're welcome. Next! And your name is... Bob. Bob? I swear, angels these days. All right, Bob, lay it on me. Where you from? Vatican City. Vatican City? <laughs> Are those bozos still praying to dead people and inanimate objects? More than ever. You know, that really frosts my cookies. I mean, seriously. Take Mary, for example. That poor woman has been dead for millennia. She's not answering prayers. Who is the dumb schmuck that thought praying to her would do anything in the first place? Humans! They're so darn gullible sometimes. Anyway, here's your relief basket. Sorry. Just getting real tired of that. Happens every time I give someone a basket. Next! Hi. 
Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Uh, warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that God is not promising you um, a surge in blessings if you're experiencing a decrease. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you choose. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at twenty four. Ninety-five a month. From there, Master Gunner at forty-nine ninety-five a month, and then Quartermaster at ninety-nine ninety-five a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box one three three four four, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's uh, get into our Jonathan Kahn update. And uh, we'll use this music to start off with uh, for our you know first Jonathan Kahn update using at least the teaching on his YouTube channel. Here we go. I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. Head of my shoulders is sour or loose. And I ain't got sense, God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy, but I'm a nut. Is it wetter underwater if you're there when it rains? Is it shorter to New York than it is by plane? Between myself and I, I wonder who's the dumber. Is it hotter down south? And it is in summer. I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head of my shoulders is sour loose. I ain't got since God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy, but I'm a nut. All right, so uh, we're heading over to the Jonathan Kahn YouTube channel, and uh, we're going to learn the power of Omer. Mm-hmm. I've never met Omer, <laughs> but this is really important stuff here. The power of Omer. I mean, when you read the writings of the church fathers, I mean, you know, you, you get the Christological heresies and, well, 
doctrines and debates that occurred regarding the Arians and the non-Trinitarians. You think of the Sabalian modalists and people like that. And, uh, you know, and right wedged in there, you know, in all of the different, you know, machinations and controversies of the uh, first few centuries of Christianity, you had all these church fathers talking about the power of Omer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, none of them mentioned that. Um, but uh, let's let's listen in as Jonathan Kahn explains this important doctrine to us. Here we go. But now let me add one more connection yeah. to the revelation. Yeah. It's not just only that, but here's what happens. Shavuot, Pentecost, wasn't the end of the matter. It was the beginning of something big. Yeah. Every year they would have a they would lift up what they had on Pentecost. They said, Okay, now we go out to the big harvest. And what they lifted up to the Lord, the sheaf or the or the loaf, what they lifted up, as I just shared at the beginning, that that meant that every other thing part of this harvest is going to be holy. So every Yeah, it's kind of the first fruits. Yeah, I got it. Okay. That was done. Whatever they lifted up to the Lord, it's saying that all the rest of the grain is holy now. Everything. This stands for what's coming. What does that mean? The disciples, the 120, they were the first fruits of on Shavuot, Pentecost. What that means is they stand for everybody else who's coming. So whatever. Well, yeah. Okay, sure. And uh, Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation. The apostles are kind of like the first fruits of the well actually the the people who were brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins yeah the beginning of the harvest if you would notice the uh, judgment themes there regarding harvest um sure okay okay yeah and to them is supposed to happen to every one of us mm. whatever happened to the, the the book of acts they were the first fruits of shavuot that means they're not just for themselves they're for us i shared the beginning that- yeah I'm not sure I know where you're going with this. And you notice you're not actually exegeting a text. Yeah, so what he did is he referenced the book of Acts, didn't really exegete any text in particular, and then drew an inference from what he said regarding the book of Acts, and the inference then was used to come to a conclusion. You see, that's not how doctrine works. No, 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 no. In order to actually come up with a biblical doctrine, the way you do it is you read the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, we believe in the doctrine of uh, that that Jesus Christ is both God and man, right? Yeah, you see, I could sit there and say, yeah, the the New Testament teaches that Jesus is both God and man, and uh, and you sit there and go, okay, well that sounds right. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. But in order to demonstrate it, I would have to actually. Like, open up to like Romans chapter one, you know, who according to the flesh was the descendant of David and who by the, the spirit of holiness, uh, you know, was declared to be the son of God by the resurrection from the grave. That's kind of Roseboro's rambling paraphrase there, but you, you get the idea uh, doctrines require text. And what he dis- did there was sans text. You, you can't do that. That's why they spoke in tongues. You know, there's other, there's all sorts of gifts from the Lord and the Spirit, but they spoke in tongues of nations because, because they were standing in. They were the first roots for every nation. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no text says, and here's the reason why they were able to speak in tongues, because they stood in for all the nations. Yeah, no, you just made that up. 
cross included. So therefore what it's saying is, whatever was done for them, the book of Acts is supposed to be done for you. No, again, no. Why aren't you exegeting a text that says this? And the answer to this hypothetical question um, is is actually the reason why he's not actually exegeting a text because no doc no text actually teaches the doctrine that he's giving us here. And so, if they had that power, yeah, that means you have that power. No, I mean, I'm not. What power again are you exactly referring to? The power to speak in the languages of all the nations. I have the same Holy Spirit, but I haven't been given the gift of tongues. You have the power of the book of Acts. Uh, what's that? Waiting, waiting for the next outpouring, waiting for, well, that's fine. God can do those things, but you don't have to wait for the Spirit of God. Meaning, God has given the Spirit of God. That means you have the power. God can give you more. He can fill you more. But God has given you his spirit. Yeah, I I agree. I do have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. What does it mean? It means, therefore, all those powers of the resurrection belong to you. Um, Define the quote-unquote powers of the resurrection. I feel like you're, like, playing fast and loose here and, like, making up categories on the fly. If you use it. So I, I, I have all the powers of the resurrection available to me, but I got to use it. Okay. Can I go to a biblical text and you show me where the quote unquote powers of the resurrection are listed for me and I'm to, and where I'm told to activate and use these things so that, uh, you know, wh- what, what are you doing? If you don't believe it, you're not going to use it. If you believe you're... Well, I'll believe it if you show me a biblical text that says it more than the spirit you're not going to use it but you need to if you believe the power of god you're going to use it what's that power that you have you have the power to break cause and effect i do <laughs> really i wow i did not know that i had the power to break cause and effect thought I had the power to break wind, but that's a different thing altogether. means no matter how people treated you, it doesn't matter. Because you've got the power of the Spirit, which is which trumps that other what they did to you. What power do you have? The power to break the law of sin in your life. I have the power to break the law of sin. Again, do you have texts that you're working from here? I'm, I seem to be missing something. Don't say, I can't, I have to do it. You have the power. God says, you are free by the Spirit. And by the Spirit of God, is, the Spirit of God is stronger than sin. Stronger than death. What else power you have? You have the power to turn no matter where you've been going, no matter what you've been doing, no matter how your life has been going. You have the power to stop the inertia, turn and say, I don't need, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to be that anymore. I have the Spirit of God in me. You have the power to turn away from Every sin, there's not one sin God has not given you the power to turn away from. If you have it, it means you're not believing the power that you actually. <laughs> um, it is true that I am no longer a slave to sin. Scripture teaches that. I mean, if you're going to teach this doctrine, why don't you just like you know exegete Romans six for us? You know, have the power to overcome. 
The power to what? To take overcome what? Off the old wrappings in your life. Take them off. Take off those old wrappings, man. The old, the old, wait, the old you. You don't have to be that anymore. Right, whatever that is, I don't need to be it. Right. But the spirit, you have the power to take that off. Take off the old self. Take it off. Take it off. Off the funeral clothes. Right. Those funeral clothes got to go, man. Need to be messed up. You've got the spirit. No, no more being messed up. Right. The power to break out of any bondage. The power to put away anything dead. Have nothing to do with it. The power to leave any situation that's dead. What text are you working through again here? Any How do you preach a sermon without a text and call it Christian or biblical? power to leave any darkness. The power to roll the stone away. That- I have the power to roll a stone away. Well, it depends on how big it is. Another power? That's the power of the resurrection. That what any the, the power of the resurrection is the power to roll stones away. Good night. Stone that is blocking the will of God by the Spirit, you've got the power to roll it away. You have the power to overcome anything that goes against you that is not of God. Anything you've got the power to overcome it. The power to to what did what did Messiah do when he when he got up? He overwhelmed the guards. They shook. They they fell. That was the end of it. You've got the power to overwhelm the opposition of darkness of the enemy. I I have this power because Jesus apparently overwhelmed the guards there. Right. Oh man. <laughs> ah. I feel like I'm on Fantasy Island, you know, and I'm waiting for Tattoo to go, the plane, the plane. It's like, this is like Fantasy Doctrine Island. I, this is ridiculous. I, I mean, how can you say this is biblical or Christian? You're not teaching anything that the scriptures actually say. And the people there are going, amen, and oh, this is great. And, no, it's not. This is nonsense. All right, we're going to switch gears again here, uh, and uh, we're, we, we've got a <clears throat> Stephen Furtick update. That requires us to do this. But you twisted up the Bible so 
prayed, then I heard the real gospel, heard the real gospel, and you're so vain. Probably think the Bible's about you. You're so vain. I bet you think the Bible's about you. Don't you? Don't you? All right, so we're heading over to Elevation Church, the king of the Narsegetes. Uh, we're going to be in First uh, Samuel 24. Yeah, and uh, we're going to learn all about the crags of the wild goats, apparently. And the name of the message is Cutting Corners. And um, all I can say is nobody doesn't like Stephen Furtick, and this is not going to be a right handling of God's Word. Let me back off on the music. Here's Stephen Furtick. But I'm excited about this today because David said in Psalm 57, verse 2, something that really ministers... To me, it might be one of my favorite things that he ever said. He said, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. If you really listen to what I just said and thought about the content of it, it'll make your blood pressure go down. I'm going to read it again. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. If you listen to that and really get it, let me try one more time. I cry out to God most high. That means that he has all. So apparently the people there at Elevation are just not responding with enough gusto. <clears throat> now, we're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis here, and yes, it applies even to the Psalms. Psalm 57, verse 2 is the verse he's quoting out of context. And uh, let's actually take a look at Psalm 52, I'm sorry, 57, all 11 verses, all 11 verses. Why not? Here's what it says, uh, Psalm 57, verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until the storms of destruction pass by. Now you're going to note here that rather than saying, don't worry, there's a storm surge coming that will knock your socks off, David here is saying that when uh, storms of destruction come into our lives, storm here being a metaphor for difficult times and suffering and things like that, that we are to take refuge in God, hide ourselves, figuratively speaking, in the shadow of his wings, uh, uh, you know, comfort our souls within us with his word and his true promises. And then verse 2, I cry out to God most high, to the God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Talking about those who use their words, lies and slander to tear somebody down. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens and let your glory be over all of the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. 
I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all of the earth. Great psalm there. Yeah, yeah, you get the theme going on of God being merciful in times of trouble, uh, destruction, uh, when we're experiencing persecutions, those slandering us and uh, causing us to suffer unjustly, that we are to take refuge in God. That's the, the gist of the psalm itself. Let's see what Stephen Furtick is doing here, because he just is banging on verse 2 out of context by itself at the moment. In my life, and no matter what people do to me, or no matter what life has handed me, God is above it, working through it to accomplish, watch this, his purpose for me. And that's one thing that David shows us. He shows us again and again the importance of serving the purpose of God. The importance of serving the purpose of God. It's a really weird abstract thing. What do you mean by that? us how to serve the purpose. Go over to 1 Samuel 24 verse 1. Because this gives us the context in which David wrote those words. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. David wrote these words not from a beach or from a hammock. Because <laughs> it's easy to write or to talk or to believe about God fulfilling his purpose for you. When you are moving toward what you consider to be your purpose. It is, it is one thing to pin those words when you are headed toward what you believe to be your destiny. It's another thing to say that when everything is headed in the wrong direction. And when we catch up with David in 1 Samuel 24 verses 1 through 8, as you're about to see, everything is moving away from what David is ultimately headed toward. But he's able to see something in this, and I want to share it with you today. 1 Samuel 24, verse 1, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. By the way, when God has purposed for you to do something significant, expect the enemy to send out his special forces. What? <laughs> um, I, yeah, uh, so <laughs> that's not what that text says. Like, not even close. Uh, this is really weird. That might be why your life has been so hard. Not because God is not with you, but maybe God is so distinctively with you. Maybe his plan for your life is so intimidating and threatening to the devil that there's no way he's going to let you ascend to your... Yeah, you're so important. ...without an attack. That might be why you're fighting right now. And so David is on the road to royalty, but it will not be an easy road. David is on the road to influence. David is on the road to purpose, but it will not be, it, it will not, it will not be easy. 
Right. Yeah. See, and just like David was on the road to purpose, you too are on the road. To pur- you probably have as big of a purpose as as David does for David or, or for you. And he's running as a refugee, although he's anointed as a king. And the circumstance he finds himself in completely contradicts the calling that he believes he's walking in. Have you ever been there? Look at verse 3. He came. Yeah, last time I was anointed king of Israel, yeah, I had the same difficulties. Yeah. The sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, when the Bible says relieve himself, it means relieve himself. Can we leave it at that, people of God? You can do the Hebrew and the Greek and the Latin and the Spanish. I'm going to resist. There's some things that I want to say right now. This isn't junior high or like Beavis and Butthead. Um, Yeah, I recently taught through this text. Didn't have a problem with it. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save those things. This is the spiritual service. This is all the people who really love God. So if I say what I want to say about that verse, because anyway, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. If you knew what I was fighting back, watch. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, holy crap. (laughs) Told you. The men. He writes his own material. This is the day the Lord spoke up when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. I want to talk to you today about cutting corners. Because the scripture promises that God will fulfill his purpose for you. David said that, and then he demonstrated that. I wonder if you really believe that God will fulfill his purpose for you, or are you stressed out because you are trying to fulfill God's purpose for someone else? You know, we live in a day and time where... Uh, What? (laughs) How do I evaluate such a thing? Oh, man, I've been... (laughs) What am I thinking? I've been working to help somebody else fulfill their purpose and I haven't even gotten to my own. What on earth? One click away from seeing how someone else raises their kids. And before long, you can start to compare your purpose to their purpose. But touch somebody and say, God didn't call me to fulfill your purpose. Right. Yeah, yeah. Please do not judge me according to the standards of what God gave you. This doesn't make any sense. That Notice, you by sticking yourself into the middle of the text, uh, you're just completely evacuating the text of any actual meaning. Because my stewardship is not of your purpose. So I don't have to feel bad about the gifts that God did not give me if I am fully maximizing the ones that he did. All Right, yeah. Are you fully maximizing the gifts that God gave you so that you don't need to feel bad about somebody else's purpose that they're putting stress on you to, for you to help them fulfill? I, what on earth? I got to do. This will set you so free. All I've got to do is completely commit my heart to God's purpose for me. Right. Just get to it. Do you got to, but it's got to be completely, Mm -hmm. not somewhat or kind of sort of, but completely. 
Now, it's a funny thing because what my podium understands and my microphone understands, I, as a preacher, have a hard time understanding. I've been preaching at this church for about 12 years and never once have I seen my podium try to do my microphone's job and amplify my voice, nor have I seen my microphone try to hold my Bible. But we walk around all the time frustrated and fearful trying to do something. Hello, testing, testing. This is just absurd. This is like sermonic quackery. Narcissistic sermonic quackery. Why isn't this working? Because you have... This text doesn't teach any of that stuff. Purpose. And when you put the pressure on yourself to fulfill a purpose that God did not intend for your life, of course you're stressed out. Of course you can't sleep. Of course you feel like a failure. But God said, what I put in you is for you, and you are not responsible for anybody else's results. I feel chains falling off of somebody. Right, yeah. Color me unconvinced. Serve. Does anyone talk that way anymore? I mean, that used to be all the rage years and years ago. Maybe showing my age here. Purpose that God has given you. Mm. Mm. That's what David did. Mm. Notice that he never sought the position of king. Never once. We live in a world that talks a lot about finding your purpose. But I wonder if what we're really doing is seeking a position and confusing position with purpose. Yeah, it just makes you wonder. I mean, yeah. Uh, notice he's not really exegeting any text. Yeah, it's kind of a, like I don't know. It's an epidemic of textlessness that uh, seems to be overtaking scripture, uh, the, uh, the, the Christian church and here Furtick, I mean, granted, I mean, he's read what two whole verses so far. Yeah. I mean, at least he's attempting to make this look biblical, but what he's saying has nothing to do with what these texts say. I preach a little bit. When Paul talked about the body of Christ, he said, sometimes the ushers in the church are more important than the preacher. He didn't say it just like that. He said, we are uh, many members, one body, and the parts that you cannot see are the ones that sustain the life function of the body. The parts that you can see, you can do without your pinky. Sometimes the preacher is like the pinky. You see it? But if it wasn't there, it could still happen. But sometimes it is the... What does this have to do with the story? Yeah. Answer, absolutely nothing. Yeah. And as we've been working our way through uh, 1 Samuel, you'll note that uh, we talked about this text. And... <sighs> what a mess. What a mess. All right. Uh, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. 
My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. A Joe Boyd sermon from Aviator Church. Yeah, stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. It I cannot remember the last time we did a Joe Boyd sermon. Years and years ago, we reviewed him fairly regularly, and I actually ran into him at uh, was it a, uh, the Unleash Conference at uh, Perry Noble's New Spring Church. Yeah, it was a leadership conference there years and years ago. But let's do this right. Here we go. 
The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via Aviator Church, Derby, Kansas. Joe Boyd presiding, and uh, the name of the sermon series is Every Story Matters to God, and actually every person does definitely matter to God. I mean, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for our sins. Uh, the, The name of this sermon in the series is titled, Your Life is Meant for More. Yeah. Um, not sure what that means. So, I mean, we'll see if we can figure this out biblically along the way. Let me go ahead and back off on the music without any further ado. Here is Joe Boyd, and uh, every story matters to God. Your life is meant for more. Okay, here we go. Well, welcome to Aviator Church. How's everybody doing today? My name is Joe Boyd, and I am so excited to welcome you here, whether you're in our Derby location or our brand new Winfield location, or you're watching online. We are so glad that you are with us today, because we have a vision. To- so they, uh, they went multi-site. Now listen to his vision. Cities transformed one life at a time, and we do that. By- so their vision is to see cities transformed. Sure that. Um, I thought that the vision that God, that Christ gave us was to make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching all that Christ has commanded. You familiar with this? Matthew 28. Honoring, building healthy, at the speed of smell. Now, today we're going to be continuing our series called Every Story Matters to God. And every story does matter to God because every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. And more now I mean it, it sounds truish. It sounds truthy. Um but again, I the job of a pastor is to preach the word. So I mean, do you think you could open up a biblical text to demonstrate this to us? I'm sure you'll get to one, right? Specifically, I want to talk about stories that involve our future. Now, here's the challenge that we have. The choices we make today will shape the stories that we will tell in the future. <laughs> um, what? <laughs> the choices we make today will shape the stories we tell in the future. Okay. Wow, that sounds like fortune cookie kind of territory right there. Sometimes whenever we make bad choices, we have stories of regret. But sometimes we make really good choices and we have stories of joy. But oftentimes when we take steps of faith and we choose to trust God, it brings us into a place of uncertainty and we wrestle with doubt and fear. But God is called. Right. So uh, if you do make decisions out of faith, it sends you into a what? (sighs) What is this? Us to something greater. Now, when it comes to a decision that, that I made along with my wife, Michelle, probably one of the most significant faith decisions that I've ever made was to start Aviator Church. We were living in Pearland, Texas, a suburb of Houston. We were in a great church. I had a great job. My wife had a great job. We had friends that were our age in our church for the first time in our young adult lives. And God... Is he exegeting his life? Oh, boy. 
was pressing in on us to start a church and step out of our comfort zone. And so the more God began to impress on us how important it was for us to be obedient, we began to pray and seek God. And we prayed over a 100 hours about what God would want to do in starting Aviator Church. But armed with that decision, we decided to load up and to move in 2008 to Derby, Kansas. And whenever we made that step, it seemed exciting. Everything was new. Everything was fresh. And, and, and it seemed like our future was so bright, we couldn't wear shades. Or we, we should have wore shades. And, and so what happened was we, we had this plan, and I had raised all this money and had all these promises of, of people that were going to back us to start this great church in Derby. But what I didn't know was that the housing market was going to fall apart in 2008. And so as the housing market began to crumble, I began to get calls from my supporters who said, Joe, I'm sorry, but our 401k is turning into a 201k and we're eating special K. We don't know how we're going to make it. We can't support you. And I can remember sitting in the basement of my house and, and, and crying out to God, God, what are you doing? We, we listened to you. We followed you. We're here and I don't know what we're going to do. I was concerned about our future. I was concerned about the church. And I can remember begging God, God, what are we going to do? But see, that's the beautiful thing. That God's often working when we don't see him working. And when God calls you to do something, he's got the plan and he knows how it's going to work out. But you have to have the faith to take the first step. And if we, yeah, which text tells me that when God has a plan, you know, all of this stuff, no, this is purpose driven theology, dream destiny thingy doctrine here. I, I can't think of any text that teach this. Can you back this up with a biblical passage? Going to trust that God is in control. If we're going to believe that God wants to do huge things in us and through us, then we've got to believe that. What if I don't want to believe that God's going to do a huge thing through me? I would prefer, you know. What if I just want to live a quiet life, you know? God wants to write the story. And if we're going to allow God to be a part of the story, we need to know this. I, I, I need to give permission to God to be a part of my story. What are you talking about? God will help us write our story. In fact, in Hebrews 12, verse 2. It Hebrews says, 12 says that God's going to help me write my story. What? this. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Yeah, this is where knowing your Greek would help, the archegon. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> author, you know, the, the guy who started it, you know, the, it, it, but just because in some translations of Hebrews 12, too, it says Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, doesn't mean that that uh, if we have faith, you know, the right kind of faith that God's going to do a purpose thingy in our lives, that that is inviting God or Jesus in to write the rest of our story. That's absurd. Um, <laughs> and you, you'll note that the ESV does not have author. It, you know, it, in fact, Hebrews 12, 1. Let's take a look at this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you'll notice that Hebrews 12, 1 begins with the words, therefore, and that's in you know in relation to what went on in Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith passage, noting all of the different people in the Old Testament who did the things that they did by 
faith and even a call in there to, if necessary, lay down our lives and suffer and be martyred by faith. Uh, So therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So you're going to note that Hebrews 12, 2 it explicitly references the cross of Christ. So, um, but here, Joe Boyd is just looking for the word author, you know, founded in a Bible search program, and, you know, voila, Hebrews 12, 2 comes up, and now he's saying that God's going to write the rest of your story. Yeah, that's not what Hebrews 12, 2 is teaching. When we take steps of faith, Jesus wants to write the conclusion. He's calling us to take a step of faith. He he wants to really badly to write the conclusion. But if you write it for yourself, it, it may be kind of sloppy. He's the author and he's the finisher, which means that he's the one that's writing the story as we take those steps of faith. And so as I cried out to God, God, what are we going to do? He very clearly told me, Joe, the circumstances may have changed, but the mission didn't. And so without a budget, without certainty as to how we would start, all I knew was that as I began to read the Bible, I began to notice that Jesus went where the people were. And so we made a decision as a group of 12 people in our launch team that we were going to start going where the people were. But it was winter, and people weren't out. They weren't out in the parks. They weren't playing tennis. We, we didn't know where to go. And so I went over to the DRC, the Derby Rec Center, and I found out that they had intramural leagues. And when I started looking at all the different sports, we didn't have enough people to compete in certain sports, but they had volleyball, and there were openings for teams. And so we signed up for the intermediate volleyball competition with the rec center. And I thought, how hard could that be? I can remember talking to the six people that were willing to say yes to it and and saying, guys, we did this in junior high. How hard can it really be? I even went so far as to sign us up, take the step of faith to sign us up. And whenever I got the roster to see who we were up against first, I noticed that the team we were competing against was called the Dinkers. Now, I'm starting to feel pretty confident at this point. We're going to crush a team that would name themselves the Dinkers. And so, yeah, he, he is literally exegeting his life story here. I had never heard of the Dinkers before. Um, and I'm pretty sure the Dinkers have no bearing whatsoever on true Christian sanctification. We were driving over to compete. I was telling everybody it's going to go great. Just be positive. Like, remember everything you learned in junior high? They're like, should we practice? I'm like, no, let's just go and have fun. And as we walked into the gym, we looked over at this team that had matching uniforms, knee pads, were doing digs, sets, and slams. And I thought that I'd walked into an Olympic trial. I was very nervous. Needless to say, we got out on the court in our blue jeans and T-shirts, and we got crushed. They were slamming the ball on us left and right. In fact, I got hit so many times that you could see Spalding stamp backwards on my head. And we got beat so bad and so often, it felt like we were getting beat like a drum. 
But I kept convincing everybody, we need to go. We need to tell everybody how great they were. Great slam, man. Way to beat us. Like, that was incredible. And so week after week, we lost. And then we had to go up against the staff team that was from the Derby Rec Center. And after we played them and got beat once again, I can remember walking over and telling everybody how great they did. And, and this director in charge of volunteer activity for the, for the, for the city said, Hey, I want to talk to you for a second. I said, Great. And she said, I just want you to know, you guys are terrible at volleyball. <laughs> and I said, Thank you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> but then she said something that was really powerful. She said, But you guys have the best attitude. And, and I've got an opportunity for people with good attitudes to volunteer and serve our city. And what God was doing in that moment was writing into our story that where we didn't have a budget, we now had an opportunity to connect with our city. I went into her office and I began to talk to her about all the opportunities they had. And they had eight things that they needed volunteers for. Now, how many of you know in cities, people want to do great things and have great events, but the hardest thing you're ever going to find are people willing to volunteer and serve. It's always the hardest thing to do. And so when she said, will you volunteer for one of these? I said, one, we'll volunteer for all of them. And then something happened. It was like she wrote my name and my phone number on the bathroom where all volunteer coordinators for the entire city used the bathroom. And my phone began to light up and people would call and ask us to volunteer and serve. We hear you like to serve. And we served and we served and we served. And in fact, between the end of May and the start of September in 2008, we did over 25 community events as a church. And God was working it out. And God was writing in the story all of these connections and relationships that we were forming. And as a result, hundreds of people knew about us and hundreds of people showed up when we started the church. See, if we would have done what I had planned, we would have advertised and maybe had a few people the first week, but, but it would have significantly tanked because we didn't really know our neighbors. God had a plan for us. In fact, in the Old Testament, God had a plan for a man who was uncertain about what God was asking him to do. His name was Abraham. In fact, early on, he was called Abram. So note here, uh, we're going to get the story of Abram. Uh, Apparently, uh, this is a story of a guy who had a purpose, a dream destiny. Uh, You know, a, a, a thing that God wanted him to do, and he was uncertain about it. And see, just like he was... You're going to be also when God finally shows up on your doorstep and uh, presents you with your purpose and plan and things like that. That's not what the story of Abram is about. lived in a land that, that worshipped a false god, that worshipped a god of the moon, and the god of the moon was called Nanar. Everybody say Nanar. Now, he was, he was comfortable there. He was, he was in line to, to, to grow up with his father and inherit everything his father had to say, uh, had to offer him. But in Genesis 12, verse 1, God had a different plan for him. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. See, sometimes when God calls us to take a step of faith, he calls us to take a step that feels uncertain. But when God calls us... Yeah, that's not what this text is about. So notice he's making it, he's just assuming this passage is about you and and the purpose that God's going to lay out on your life. Yeah, that's not what this is about. 
<sighs> so what he's doing here is he's taking a descriptive text. This is a historical narrative. Making it a prescriptive text. What Abraham went through, you're going to go through too. That's not the point here. Take a step of faith. He calls us with a promise. And in fact, he goes on to say in verses 2 and 3 what he was going to do. He said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. Yeah, that's a prophecy about Jesus, Uh uh-huh, the descendant of Abraham. See, Abraham had to make a choice. And you and I have to make choices every day. But Mm -hmm. choices we make today will shape the stories we'll tell in the future. (laughs) That's not what this text is about. And it's important to know that he knew exactly what God said to him. But we're not changed by knowing what God says. We're changed by doing what God says. Oh, man. (laughs) Okay, Ten Commandments. How are you doing on that? Are you doing what God says? You're only going to be changed if you do. Yeah, you're going to know that's law. That's really bad law because it's not an actual commandment that what he's talking about there, but wow, is that bad and a complete confusion of what's going on in that text. It requires a step of faith and it requires a step of obedience. See, God's word is a lot like paint. It doesn't really make a difference until you begin to apply it. And so it's important for us to apply and obey exactly what God says. And it tells... Yeah, and he's talking about whatever you think God is speaking into your heart and regarding your purpose. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, So Abram left as the Lord had told him. Now, as a church, I can tell you that, that nothing happened in our church and through our church until we took steps of faith. When we took steps of faith in 2008 and we invited everyone we knew and we served our city multiple times, what God did was bring 250 people into a high school and a church began. God has been calling us to take steps of faith. God called us to start church after church. And in seven years, God's allowed Aviator Church to start seven churches. We've called people to take steps of faith and be obedient to baptism. And we've seen over 1,200 people take the step of baptism because God called us to take that step. God is so good. God is so good that he allowed us to take a step of faith to move from a temporary location in a high school into a permanent facility in Derby, Kansas, where we were able to renovate a building and prepare it so that thousands of people could come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And God has used that. But that yeah, how does that work when you don't even preach Christ? That's all God wanted to do. He continued to write chapter after chapter. And God was calling us as a church to go to Winfield, Kansas. More specifically, the entire county of Cali County. And so this past year, we took a step of faith to do an outreach event, which was an egg hunt for the entire county. And over 2,000 people showed up. 
And they kept saying, what is all this about? And we said, we're starting a church here this fall. But we didn't know exactly where we were going to start it. We just knew God called us to go there. In fact, at one point, we believed that God was calling us to the movie theater that sat halfway between Ark City and Cali County. But then the doors began to close because a church in another state within that line of theaters really didn't do a good job. And the theater made a decision as a company that they were never going to let another church meet with them. And so we begin to scramble and wonder, where do we go next? As we looked for place after place after place, it seemed like doors begin to close. And we begin to wonder, God, what have you put us into? We've already told these people we're starting. We don't have a place to meet. But then God began to move in the hearts of a people in a church called First Christian Church in Winfield. And conversations begin to happen where, where they had prayed that God would fill their building up once again. And, and meanwhile, we weren't sure who the location pastor was going to be. And so we began to pray heavily for that. And then we get a phone call from a guy named Jonathan Gibson. We begin to talk with him. And, and, and he was serving in a town that had 250 people. He had a church with 250 people. It doesn't get any better than that. Yet God was calling him to move to Winfield. And he wasn't fully sure why. And so he began to explore this idea of us going there and God calling him there and his family. And, and so he took a step of faith to make the move to Winfield. We took a step of faith to hire him to be our location pastor. And First Christian Church took a step to provide us with a building so that we would see what God would do next. And as a result, even though it felt uncertain and even though it was difficult. Yeah, you're going to note all the, the uncertainty, you know. Did I really hear God's voice? I'm not sure if I did. And and uh, I think he's telling me to do this, but I'm not sure why he's telling me to do this. But I feel like he's telling me to do... Oh, man, this is the tyranny of, of uncertainty. Hmm. You know, Scripture nowhere tells us that this is how God's going to guide us. And even though the summer required over 6,000 hours of volunteer effort to get the building ready, God launched our Winfield location with 477 people and 21 salvations on the first week. Yeah, don't sprain your arm giving yourself a pat on the back there. All glory goes to you, apparently. So my question to you is this. What does God want you to do? I believe... How am I supposed to figure that out without a biblical text? Yeah, in, in fact, let's take a look at a biblical text that I think is quite relevant to the topic at hand. It's uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, Paul writing to young Pastor Timothy, who is a pastor uh, you know, of one of the congregations in the city of Ephesus. Yeah, you remember Paul did a lot of missionary work there, planted the churches in Ephesus. And uh, here's what he says, uh, verse 14 of chapter 3, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, the word for writings literally means writing, the grammar. 
and uh, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All Scripture, graphe, that's the writing, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So the idea is this, regardless of what it is that God would have me do, whatever the good work is, it is the scriptures, the written word of God that is inspired, breathed out by God, that will equip me for that task. Uh, Joe Boyd here is telling us to apparently stick our finger into the wind and engage in some kind of um, you know, spiritual water witching, and uh, and you know when the two poles kind of cross each other, you know that God's speaking, but then you're not exactly certain if that's really the place where you're supposed to dig or not. This is weird. I believe that God's calling all of us to take steps of faith. And the question is, what step of faith do you need to take next? <laughs> the step of faith of leaving Aviator Church. This is nonsense. Some of us, it may be that God's calling you to start a group. You feel uncertain. You're not sure what you're going to teach. You're not. Yeah, how convenient. So the thing God's calling you to do is start a small group because, you know, our our attractional church model and multi-site thingy kind of depends on that because you're not going to get much of God's word rightly taught during a sermon. Who's going to show up? But you just feel in your heart that God's called you to impact a small group of people to make a difference and that we can do life together. Make a difference and do life together. What is that? I mean, I think the guys in prison do life together. Is that is that what you mean? I've got news. We have opportunities for you to start a group. You may have a tug on your heart to get involved in aviator kids ministry or possibly start student ministry. And, and God's put it on your heart to make a difference in the next generation. For others, God may have a story that he's written in your heart that you need to put out in a book. For others, you may be a person who needs to take that step of faith, and you need to apply for that job that you've been afraid to try for. And others, God may be calling you to start a business. And your story may be that we started and we didn't have anything, but we just took steps of faith. While others, I believe God may be calling to expand your family or start your family. It may be that God's calling you to have a child. It may be that God wants you to be a part of the foster care system. It may be that God is calling you to adopt. But whatever your step of faith, it requires us to take a first step. In fact, what I know without a shadow of a doubt is that God doesn't expect you to have the faith to finish, but he does expect you to have the faith to start. Do you have a biblical text that says this? No, you don't. How can you make this claim that you know this with certainty when there's no text that actually says the thing you just said? Oh, man. I feel like he's trying to teach all these people how to become Jedi. When we look at Abraham. Feel the voice of God inside of you, you will. The rest of his story is told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, by Faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Right. But see, God actually spoke directly to Abraham. 
Nowhere in Scripture are we told that God's going to speak to us directly. God speaks to us through his written word. How am I going to start a group? How am I going to, to work? In- yeah, no, Hebrews 11 is not about you starting a small group. It's how am I going to make a difference in students? How am I going to start that book or apply for that job? Or how am I going to expand my family? It is by faith that we have to take these steps. You don't know how it's going to finish, but God is expecting Talk about twisting of Scripture. Wow. You to finish. He's expecting you to start. And oftentimes, the blessing of God is often on the other side of our obedience. When we listen to God and we obey Him, God does miraculous things. Yeah, I find it fascinating that obedience is to this, uh, well, uncertain voice of God speaking into your heart. You've got to be obedient to that. But again, I've already referenced it. What about the Ten Commandments? That's God who spoke those things. How are you doing in your obedience there? Hmm? God did it then, and he can do it again. The question is, how will you follow God's plan in your life? I believe the answer is by faith. I believe that we have to take the first step. And you might have doubts. And you might have fears in this uncertainty. But let me tell you, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. Recently, we had... Yeah, that's a nice slogan. But which biblical text has that? As a church, a mission trip to Quito, Ecuador. And the game plan was to send a group of people to make a difference in an orphanage and, and in the city dump with a church plant. But God had a plan with something far greater for some people that are on our church staff. Let's take a look at their story. I'm Jordan Golden. I'm Renata Golden. And uh, recently we went on a mission trip to Quito, Ecuador, where we had to help out at an orphanage. And while we were there, we actually uh, experienced something really incredible. God was telling us to do something really, really big. Um, God actually gave me a dream about a little girl. Um, she was sitting alone. and she... <laughs> So this is a story of direct revelation. See, because we have a personal testimony, that's, this proves that this is all true. Um, but he's twisted God's word in order to make this appear like a biblical doctrine, but it's not. It just seemed um, very troubled, I guess you could say. Um, And so I just started praying for her, and I didn't know who she was. um, But I did have a feeling that she would be in that orphanage when we got there. When we got there, um, I noticed her right away, and I knew exactly who she was. And um, she was really standoffish, but I finally got a moment with her. And um, she sat on my lap, and we were playing peekaboo. And... Um, I just had this feeling that um, I just knew that I loved her like a mother loves her child. And so I went to Jordan and I told him, hey, we need to adopt Maite. And at first he was like, whoa, what? Like, I don't even know who she is. We just got here. What's going on? So One of the last nights that we were there, uh, I actually... I just got by myself and really asked God, you know, what's the deal here? Like, what do you want me to do? Maite has uh, a lot of different special needs. And uh, she has microcephaly. She has severe malnutrition. uh, She's prone to seizures and things like that. And 
for me, that was very scary to think that God was calling us to adopt a little girl that had all these special needs because I didn't feel like I was equipped to handle that. But God in that moment was telling me, you may not feel equipped, but I am equipped to handle that. And so I started talking to Renata about it and said, hey, I think God's telling me you know, we're supposed to do this, um, but I really, really wanted, uh, I guess, a sign, as cliche as that is. Wow. Now, a little bit of a note here. Adopting a special needs child from a third world nation. Clearly, that is a good work. And, you know, all of this subjective water witching that's going on here, not necessary. You know, if you want to adopt a child with special needs from a third world nation, and you you work with the adoption agencies or the orphanages, and when you get there, find a child who needs your help that you can serve and adopt them. That's a great work. But this intermediate step of all this, like, I'm not sure I needed a sign. Are you sure you were talking? That was you, God, talking to my wife. And what's the deal with that? And, oh, man. Yeah, and why is all the confusion and uncertainty being caused? Because this is not what the scriptures teach. I really wanted to be able to spend some time with Maite and and to connect with her while we were there. And um, the last day that we were there, I got the opportunity to do that. And I I walked over and I said hi to her. And uh, she she smiled and waved at me. And uh, And that's the first time that she had ever... (laughs) been okay with him oh, yeah. saying hi to her she, <laughs> every time yeah. before she'd be like no, yeah, no. She, she would say no and go, you know, <laughs> go over there and, and it was just this incredible uh, experience and in that moment like that's when I felt like this is my daughter and that's when I knew like we, we have to pursue this adoption uh, we didn't yeah notice the uh, inspirational music playing in the background expect that when we went to Ecuador, God was going to call us to adopt a little girl with special needs. And, um, I mean, it was a shock. It seems crazy, but when God tells you to do something, you do it because he comes through every single time. Yeah, how are you doing on the Ten Commandments? I'm Jordan. I'm Renata. And our story and my taste story matters to God. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it incredible how God leads us to take steps of faith that we don't expect? God really does call people to take incredible steps, even when they don't feel equipped. One of the scriptures that I'm drawn to that that reminds me of this is whenever God told Moses to go to Pharaoh to set his people free. And God's been using people that follow him to set people free from their addictions, their bondage, their loneliness, their depression. So uh, God called Moses to set the children of Israel free. So now God's calling you. Well, see, the thing is, is that in a sense, you can talk about that, but setting people free from the dominion of darkness requires us to preach and proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins. Teaching Christ and him crucified for our sins requires us to preach what, well, God's law, you know, the Ten Commandments and how we've come up short and don't measure up, you know, things like that. And then placard Christ and him crucified so that we can be forgiven and call people to repent and to be forgiven uh, through the shed blood of Christ. Things like this, you know. 
And in fact, Moses had this moment where he had doubt and fear. He had, yeah, did you have a Moses moment too? A decision to make, but he was pushing back and God responds to him. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 through 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. God gave Moses the words, the vision, and the direction. And we know that he made a decision to step into the call that God gave him. And every step of the way, God provided. Every step of the way, God showed him the way. The question is, will you follow and obey what God calls you to do? What I've learned in all my time leading this church for over nine years is this. Who you follow will determine where you will go. If you follow Jesus, he doesn't make a promise that everything's going to be easy. He doesn't say that it's going to be simple. He doesn't say that it's going to be a piece of cake. But what he says is that it's worth it and it's going to make a difference for eternity. Where where does Jesus say it's worth it and it'll make a difference? And many times I've had to hang on to a passage of Scripture that is so incredible. Whenever you have doubts and you kind of feel like... It's, it, it, it's not just incredible. It's so incredible. Yeah, could you give me an example of one of these texts that are so incredible? Yeah. In the halfway point of a decision or a journey or a story, I'm drawn to Psalm 118.8. Okay. It's the very middle verse of the entire Bible. Right. And whenever you're in a difficult situation, uh, a time that's uncertain, maybe you're dealing with sickness or you're dealing with with job security or uh, a change in a relationship, here's what I know. When you're crying out and you say, God, what do I do next? He gives this incredible insight. It's like he walks into the locker room of life and he says these words. It is better to trust the Lord than to put your confidence in man. Right, yeah. Very middle verse of the Bible there. Um, Let's take a look at the context. I think the context might help us a little bit. Psalm 118 is a wee bit longer than 11 verses, but uh, we won't read all of it. But let's take a look. We'll start at verse 1. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear Yahweh say his steadfast love endures forever. You're going to note four times it says that the Lord's steadfast love endures forever. What is the Lord's steadfast love? Well, it's demonstrated by Christ's death on the cross, while we were enemies of God, Jesus bleeds and dies for our sins. His grace and his mercy, his steadfast love to us who have been forgiven, endures forever. It will never fade, right? Verse 5, So out of my distress I called to Yahweh, 
Yahweh answered me and set me free. Yahweh is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Yahweh is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in Yahweh than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in Yahweh than to trust in princes. All nations surround me. In the name of Yahweh, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of Yahweh, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of Yahweh, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But Yahweh helped me. Yahweh is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of Yahweh does valiantly. The right hand of Yahweh exalts. The right hand of Yahweh does valiantly. You see what's going on here? Yeah. So uh, Joe Boyd just ignores all that important gospel stuff that's (laughs) around the middle verse of the Bible. And just, you know, and this is now turned into, it's better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in man. And that means trust in the Lord when you hear uh, that, that voice that you're uncertain about inside of your heart telling you you want to do something that sounds a little crazy. A little, whoa, 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 what are you thinking there, God? But yeah, trust in the Lord and don't put confidence in man. You got to trust in that still small voice. That's not what... Psalm 118.8 is teaching. And that's true of putting our confidence in other people, but it's also true about putting confidence in ourselves. A lot of times we say, if it's ever going to be, it's up to me. But we're never going to take the bold steps of faith. We're never going to make the decisions to follow Jesus if it's always on us. There's a point where we have to believe that God has a bigger plan for our life. There's a point where we're going to have to take a big step of faith in order to see God move in a huge way in our lives. Yeah, see, God can't move in a huge way until you take that bold step of faith, says no biblical text anywhere in the Bible. I believe this. Most of us aren't looking for the good thing. Most of us are desperate to experience the God thing. And until you take a step of faith, you'll... This guy is like a veritable slogan factory. ...ever experience all that God has to offer. Today, I have a question for you. What is your next step of faith? And more importantly, will you take it? Maybe your first step of faith today is to trust God with your salvation. To say, I've never followed God and I need to trust him. For some of us, it's to take a step of obedience. Over the past couple of weeks, we've had several people, dozens of people, who have said, I want to follow Jesus with my life. And they took their first step of faith. But now it's time to take their first step of obedience and baptism. Will you sign up and will you take your step of baptism this following week? And others, you're wondering, where do I fit in this story that God calls Aviator Church? And I would ask you, will you take your step to go to Aviator 101? To find your place and your fit within the church. To find- yeah, well, it was weird. We just heard Stephen Furtick in the first hour explain that, you know, you don't want to uh, try to fulfill somebody else's purpose, but you got you to work to fulfill your own. Joe Boyd here seems to be trying to convince people that they've got to they've got to fulfill the purpose of Aviator Church rather than their own purpose. It's weird. How God wants to work in you and through you and through this church. 
Because we all have a place to serve. We all have a place to find purpose, but we have to take a step of faith to do it. And today, I believe the most critical step that we can take is to trust God more than we trust ourselves and more than we trust our past. I believe the greatest decision we can make is to begin a faith journey that involves following Jesus. Yeah, you, you got to make the decision to make a faith journey thingy. Right. Don't know what one of those are, but, you know, um, this is a pastor at a church saying, I got to I got to do that. So it's got to be true. Right. And so today, no matter where you are, what location you may be at, I'm going to ask all of us to pray that we would trust God with our lives and our direction and our future. Let's pray. Done. Lord Jesus. Yeah, sorry. I'm not interested in praying with you, Joe. Okay, so there you have it. That was a mess. Yeah, that was just a veritable mess. <sighs> you know, he did take a few verses out of context, you know, and but the all the doctrine that he taught was totally man-made just like everybody else in this episode of Fighting for the Faith. It's strange how that is just become the rule of the day today. I mean, just make it up as you go along. I mean, and don't don't worry. You don't have to dogmatically write it down and say this is part of our doctrinal beliefs because you could just change it up and next week believe something different. You know, <laughs> what's the point of having a Bible if you can't twist it, right? Wow. And the person who gets lost in the mix there, uh, Jesus. And what he's actually done for us. Did these people actually hear anything substantive about Christ? No, not at all. They heard about Joe Boyd. They heard about that couple that uh, adopted that child in Ecuador. They didn't hear anything about what Jesus did for them. They were not confronted with their sins. They were not called to repent. And, uh, you know, I don't know what making a decision to make a faith journey is. Um, you know, But, you know, if you wanted to, you know, trust Jesus with your salvation— apparently you could have done that there on that night for whatever reason. Why, I don't know. But, I mean, just because that's what you're supposed to do, apparently. But if you were truly an uh, an unbeliever who showed up at Aviator Church on that Sunday, would you have actually heard the gospel in any kind of meaningful way that would have actually resulted in that person being brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins? Answer, no, not at all. And that's the problem. This is now American evangelicalism. It's been boiled down into some nebulous goulash of nonsensical platitudes and slogans, but not biblical teaching. Hmm. Very sad. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.